The Crux of the Matter, Episode 32, What Does It Mean to Be a Pro-Life Pastor? Hello and welcome to The Crux of the Matter, the show by pastors, for pastors. My name is Pastor Todd Peppercorn. And I'm Professor Scott Stigmeyer. And how are you, Herr Professor, the first week of the semester? Yeah, yeah. It's been great fun. I um, you know, I love the students. The, 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 you know, I guess that sounds kind of cliche, but um, I don't that's know. What I've known professors that didn't like students. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, I've had a few of those. Yeah. Um, well, I'm only in my first week, but uh, you know, I did teach this summer, but this is the first week of the fall semester, and uh, it's busy. Um, yep. And I'm still learning the ropes for sure, uh, learning what it means to be a professor. And so this whole year for me is going to be flying by the skin of my teeth. But uh, but I, I really enjoy – I've enjoyed my first week so far. Good. What, uh, what have you been up to? You had a busy week too I think. Well, I'm in the um, – I'm in kind of the hot and heavy preparation for fall. And so I kind of had to go dark for a couple days to just – you know, hunker down and get some things ready. We've got a big, uh, we've got a big calendar meeting here at church tomorrow where we try to map out the whole year so people aren't mad at each other when both, you know, with two groups have planned the same thing at the same time or whatever. Um, just lots of, uh, lots of stuff going on, which is, which is fun, which is good. And, um, and that's been, uh, that's definitely been taking a lot of my, uh, a lot of my energies. Uh, but it's, you know, it's good getting ready for confirmation instruction and all of the various classes. I've got classes I'm teaching this year on Genesis, which is always good, and on Hebrews, which I talked about a little bit last, uh, last week. So that's been, uh, that's been fun. Hebrews is really, it's one of my very favorite books. It's just so interesting and it forces me to really get into the, get into the Greek, to look at all of the rhetorical device, to figure out how do you how do you teach about chiasms to a group of 70 people that don't know Greek? <laughs> that sort of thing. Yeah. So, right. um, so that's very stimulating for me is to have something that is not a kind of straight verse by verse thing. You just can't read Hebrews in that way and get it and kind of understand. So that's been fun. Well, and doesn't it kind of force you to – Get into the Old Testament too, and, right. and oh yeah, handle handle concepts from the Old Testament that a lot of Christians are not as familiar with. Right, right, and and Hebrews in many respects asks questions that we don't think about right now. Right, but right. that perhaps we should be thinking about. You know, like Good that point. first chapter has this whole, you know, Jesus is superior to the angels things. Now, I just finished this study on angels, so that's kind of that's kind of nice, uh, a good segue for us. But um, today, when you have kind of a return almost to the uh, to the panoply of gods, and uh, and and you've got the coexist bumper stickers everywhere to ask the question of what makes Jesus different. I think it's kind of a good one and worth and worth exploring. You know those you made me think of this when you know those coexist bumper stickers. Yep. You know there's a there's a new one out um that's that was designed by one of the religion teachers at uh, one of the Lutheran high schools here in Orange County. Really? And it's contra is contradict. It uses the same kind of symbols. Yeah. And says contradict. Interesting. And, and then underneath it under it says they can't all be right. They can't all be right. 
Uh, we may need to find a link to that in the show notes somewhere okay. or a picture okay. or something because that's yeah. – uh, because that's that's interesting. I like that. Yeah, I just I just met this guy. He teaches uh, religion at at what's called Crean Lutheran Church, uh, Lutheran High. They're the fastest growing high school, Lutheran high school, and, hmm. and uh, he's religion. And he's, he seems like he does. He teaches apologetics and world religions there, and so he designed a bumper sticker that says "Contradict," and he was you know people are people are buying it up around here. I love it. That's funny. yeah, I like it. It's kind of neat. Yeah, that's very funny. So we have a uh, we have a topic for for this week that um, that kind of uh, kind of occurred to us or you, I guess, uh, yesterday as we were knocking around topics, and we thought we we thought about doing an episode on the on the Planned Parenthood videos, which kind of everybody's you know definitely been in in our circles, our conversations for the last what two months, three months, maybe at most. Um, but just decided that uh, neither of us kind of had a, a firm enough infer- – at least for me. I don't have a firm enough kind of factual informational grasp of the, of the videos themselves to be able to talk on that. But what I think is a really good question for us is asking what does it mean to be a pro-life pastor? And uh, and and I think that's a really good one because – I. For myself, I have struggled with some of the some of the concepts behind behind that, or what or what many people might think of um, along the way. So I'm looking forward to hearing what you have to say on that, and we'll uh, we'll kind of riff off that for a while. So, what does it mean, yeah, for uh, for Professor Scott Stigmeyer to be a pro life pastor? Well, it's it's interesting when you are a pastor of a congregation because. You know, it, it, let's say you're a congregation of a medium size. You may have what 300 or 400 people. Maybe you have 150 or 200 who come to church on Sunday. Sure. And the fact is, and you you just simply have to recognize this: not everybody in the congregation is going to be pro-life unless you talk about this a lot. Unless you're a congregation that has uh, devoted a lot of attention to this. Just like you're going to have members of your church that are Republican and you'll have members that are Democratic and, and independent politically, sure. it is probable that there are people in your congregation who either are moderately pro-choice, even though we are we – are just for the listeners, if you don't know this, we belong to a, a, a pro-life, officially pro-life denomination. Sure. And many of our members know that, but not necessarily everybody. I, I, I think I don't think everybody's going to be on the same page on that. And so the other angle to this is there are going to be people, most churches, medium to large, even small. Um, you're likely to have people in your in your pews who have been affected by abortion. Sure. Um, either they've had one. Or a loved one has had one, or you know, if it's a man, his maybe his spouse or future spouse has had an abortion, um, and so to talk about it as the pastor, especially from the pulpit, can be a little risky. Uh, you, you risk stepping on toes. You you risk um, people accusing you of getting too political, right. um, and and those are those are legitimate those are legitimate concerns. You don't want to be too political. You don't want to be all about candidates when you're talking about issues. 
Um, however, it's, it's hard to avoid. We're approaching a new season, a presidential election season. So if you start to talk about, the, if you do ever talk about the issue, pro-life issue, the Planned Parenthood videos, some will hear you saying that you should vote Republican. Um, and you, you know, so there's some things to just kind of balance there and be careful. I do think it's possible for someone to vote for a, uh, someone who's not a Republican and not all Republican candidates are, are pro-life. We, sure. you know, Donald and, Trump and, is and, not pro-life as I recall. N- no, and neither example. is John. And, and w- well, one other candidate that I used to really like was John Casey, Ohio governor. And, right. um, but he's, he's very moderate on pro-life. Um, I mean, Donald Trump has been critical of the uh, Planned Parenthood video, but he is, you know, he's he's moderate on the question at least. Um, and there are pro-life Democrats, and there are pro-life independents, or you know, third-party people. Um, so you know, it's not as if we can just easily, you know, tout one party, nor that that we should do that. But that's a criticism that you're going to get that you're being political. And um, and you're, you're dealing with a controversial topic that has the potential to really reopen wounds for people in people. Sure. And, and, sure. and that's not a reason to avoid the subject, but it is something to be mindful of. Um, do, do you – I'm just curious, Todd. Do you or do you know pastors that recognize uh, Pro-Life Sunday in January right around sure. the time of the Roe v. Wade sure. anniversary? Sure. And, and I would say that that is – Relatively common around here, we have a uh, uh, we have a fairly active Sacramento Lutherans for Life group here. Uh, members of my congregation that are quite that are quite active. Um, so that so that's definitely it's definitely on the radar. But before we get before we get down to that level, let's just let's kind of establish the high level point, and right. that is to be a pro life pastor. In my mind, means. To recognize that life is a creation from God, creation of God, and that it begins at conception and ends and ends at uh, at death, a natural death, a natural death, and that and that that's what it means, kind of just at a very base level, to be a pro life pastor, and then kind of what's the uh, what's the therefore. Behind that, um, how does that impact our preaching, our pastoral care, our teaching, our our, our public persona in the in the community? For example, um, I, I think it has lots. Um, and like any sin, let, let let's just just kind of take take preaching for 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 one of those things. Preaching usually usually goes either deductive or inductive when it comes to the law. We've already talked about that. You're either talking about our sinful nature, we're bondage to sin, and here are specific examples, or you're going to take specific examples and kind of draw that into you know the greater. And uh, and so I can use specific examples of of sin, and an abortion would be one of those. Mm-hmm. Um, but we could, but we could take many, many uh, stealing gossip, et cetera. You know, you know the, you know the Ten Commandments, right? You know the list. Yeah, so, more or less. Yeah, more or less. So, so if I preach on the sin of abortion, and there is a 
and there is a parishioner or a visitor for that matter sitting in my pew that has had an abortion that is going to convict them in one way or another. I mean they may mm-hmm. reject the conviction or they may, they may be driven to despair. Uh, but I do have to be careful on how I on how I do that, and again, what is my what is my intention behind that preaching? What is my what is my goal behind that preaching? My my goal ultimately is is to seek so that this person does not. Uh, does not look to themselves as their own source of hope and life and salvation, but that they that they look to Christ. Uh, and and so I, in in my mind at least, I have I have to always be conscious of that when it comes to when it comes to my my preaching on specific sins that I'm not doing it in order to establish our moral superiority for example which is also very easy to do i think mm-hmm. but that it but that our purpose yeah. is actually the gospel and not the and not finally the law or simple behavior modification that makes sense scott yeah and when you preach on these big ticket sins you know these things like you know homosexuality or um transsexualism or abortion right. or Serial murderers. And, you know, you, you can develop this sense of us, you know, we're holy, you know, because most people won't, yeah, most people won't have committed those sins. It's easy to preach on sins that, you know, that you think very few people have, have dealt with, you know, and I, I actually would tell my, when I served congregations, I would sometimes say, you know, my job is not to preach about other people's sins, but to preach about yours. <laughs> right. And, um, but, but, but we do as a, you know, when it comes to maintaining the whole counsel of the word of God, and we want to be able to teach all, all of what we believe and confess. And that does include, like you said, that we believe that human life, as I think scripture teaches, you know, the confessions don't address this so much, but, you know, or the, the ancient church, the church history has addressed abortion yeah, absolutely. quite extensively. Quite extensively, and not even just the early church, but um, in the ancient world, there were many. Although abortion and infanticide were common practices in the Greco-Roman world, a lot of people. I always, when I teach bioethics, which I just starting to do here at Concordia University, Irvine, um, I teach these nursing students, and I one of, on the first day of class, I throw up the Hippocratic oath. Here's mm-hmm. the Hippocratic oath, you know, which doctors used to take, and um, Let's talk about the history of that and everything. And right there, Hippocrates, a total pagan, worshipped Apollo, says in there, I will prescribe no drug that induces abortion. Um, that was explicit in the Hippocratic Oath for thousands of years. And you know, so it's not even just Christians who – you know, Jew, Jewish or Christian people that kind of understand this, although um, Judaism and Christianity did make a, a – you know, a real, real strong point about protecting life from its big earliest stages. Sure, but I sure. find that interesting. And you know, we, what does it mean to be a pro-life pastor? I think it, 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 you nailed it. I think it means that we believe that God is the author of life, and it is His. He, he is the one who determines the length of our days. It gets to be problematic a little bit on a couple of other issues. You know, it's easy to talk about easier to talk about hot potatoes like abortion right. and and say euthanasia. But what about 
some of these forms of um, artificial uh, reproductive technology, sure. like in vitro fertilization. Right. That's a big one. I think you, you know you may not have people in your congregation that, that have had abortions, but more and more likely you're going to have had people that have either have done or have contemplated in vitro fertilization, sure. which also invo- also involves the deaths of embryos right. um, unnecessarily. So you know there's a lot of different issues that kind of come under this umbrella, not just one or two big giant ones. Well, and. Um I also want to be careful in not in not creating an artificial litmus test of being a pro life right. pastor. Um, sure. You asked earlier about uh, about Life Sunday, which is typically the third Sunday in September. I think mm-hmm. uh, January. Right. Third. I'm sorry. Yeah. Thank you. Third Sunday in January. Um, I have done those occasionally, but I have not. You know, that has not been a regular part of our liturgical calendar. Um, and, and that's not so much about Life Sunday as it is about the liturgical calendar that I am, right, right. I am, uh, naturally very suspicious of anything that wants to try and supplant, uh, the liturgical life of the church, which is the life of Christ. And so um, I haven't typically been super excited about uh, Life Sunday or LWML or LLL Sunday or Seminary Sundays or Concordia Sundays or anything that kind of um, becomes a, a theme that is not the life of Christ. Right. Um, and I, I'm with you on that. And Yeah. However, um, at what point uh, do we – do we need to start doing these things as a confession of faith? I mean, many of the, many of the liturgical, uh, calendar episodes in our Lord's life that we, that we remember every year, uh, have kind of specific theological background to them on why did, why did it become important, for example, for the church to celebrate the Annunciation? Mm-hmm. Well, you know that that has as much to do with uh, our Lord being the Son of God and the Son of Mary as it does anything else. Um, so I think that I think that's a, kind of an interesting question. Um, and is having a third Sunday in January the best way to do it? I don't know. Um, well, the Annunciation would be a perfect day. To, to <laughs> it kind of would be. Yeah, and you and of course you could certainly make that. Yeah, and of course, another one would be Christmas. I mean, there are lots of mm-hmm. uh, there are lots of days that could be uh, like Mother's Day. <laughs> um, yeah, there yeah. are plenty of days that could be kind of uh, kind of fit into that. But it is something that we kind of presume in our in our preaching and in the and in the life of the church. And and I would argue that that it's something that we have to become more and more intentional about. In our preaching and teaching, I think that's well, and yeah, and if you think about it, I mean, we do Reformation Sunday, and that doesn't have an ancient precedent. That, that's, that's absolutely I mean, right. It's been around, it's right. been around a while, but it was created um, as a recognition of uh, an event to celebrate certain important topics that that the ancient church didn't have. Um, I just for my own practice, and you know, I'm I'm certainly very pro-life guy and have been involved and active in the pro-life movement in different levels. And, but I didn't really do much 
liturgically on Life Sunday. I'm not one. I'm fairly traditional this way. I, I'm not one who likes to change the assigned readings for almost right. any reason. Nor am I. But yeah, but what I would do in on the third week of January is we would have um, establish some relationship with a local crisis pregnancy center. Almost anywhere you live and serve, there's going to be some kind of a pro-life crisis pregnancy center nearby unless you just live really way out in the boondocks. But um, what I did just most recently when I was in Elmhurst, Illinois, is I I partnered with a crisis pregnancy center and they did a thing – um, where they would hand out baby bottles. They were coin banks that were shaped right. like baby bottles. And I would hand those out on Mother's Day with an explanation. And say, on Mother's Day or on Life put, Sunday? Um, I, I, Life Sunday. I okay. did it on Life Sunday. And, um, you know, it might, there might be a blurb in the bulletin that would explain it. And I would, pro- during the announcements, I would say, I'm going to pass out these uh, baby bottles for you, and, you know, and then bring them back in a month. And just put your loose change and it's going to support this this important charity and I would explain it. But I, I didn't really necessarily preach a sermon about it. Um, you know, I might have alluded to it if it seemed natural right. to do that. Natural, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, you know, I, but at the same time, I, I hear what you're saying and I agree. I, I think if – I would give a pastor some liberty on this. Sure. That if a pastor, you know, decide, you know what, I am going to – Focus on the topic of life and life issues on this Sunday or Mother's Day or – which right. is also not a liturgical day. Right. Uh, but we, we usually at least nod to it, um, which I think is all right. I don't I don't care about nodding to some of these civil things. I don't necessarily sure. want to – Sure, sure. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I don't think we need to get bent in a shape over these things as long as they don't kind of take over the life of the church and where is the right. – and the question has always got to be where is the emphasis? Where is our understanding? Is this actually centering us in Christ and and in his life for us or is the center something else, whatever that might be? You know, I have – and, and lots of other Christians are finding this out. I find this fascinating, Todd. I have a good friend, a really great pal who's a Baptist pastor, okay, and he's a pastor in Kentucky. He's got a big church, actually. He's the head pastor. He's got several pastors under him. And he told me that, you know what? I'm getting tired of having all these secular holidays in the church. And he said, so we don't even do Fourth of July. You know, we don't do, you know, Shocking. he probably does something. It is interesting. You know, he's not yeah. a liturg- I mean, he's not a traditionally liturgical guy. Right. And what he's done instead is he's adopted Advent and Lent. <laughs> his church, his church does Advent and, and Lent, the, a version of it. They do Ashes on Ash Wednesday. They do Palms on Palm Sunday. You know, these are not the center of the faith. These these little ornamental no, things. Not. But he is recognizing a value in the sacred calendar. And but the one comment that came to mind is, you know, all these secular holidays are fine holidays. But, you know, why are we doing them in the church? And I said, yeah, you know, that's kind of where I come from, observing the, the liturgical year. But uh, so I think it's interesting when, when other Christians kind of f- learn these things. But Life Sunday, um, we've already mentioned a couple of alternatives. If you don't want to do the January date, you, you know, Mother's Day is fine. I think the Annunciation, the Sunday closest to the Annunciation, which is March 25th, makes a perfect time. Christmas sure. by, might be a little tricky. You could certainly yeah, do it for Christmas. Course. 
but you know, you 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 know, you just gotta kind of determine how you want to do do that. I, I I mean, something like Christmas. I'm just gonna focus so much on the incarnation. But what I might do is throw in a line, as I often did in sermons. You know, our Lord became a fetus. Our right. Lord became you know a zygote in the womb. And when you use that language language that is known as, you know, this scientific language, I think it helps people to become sensitive that, you know, this is not just random tissues that we can manipulate right, and, right. and sell. <laughs> right. Now, just to, just to move out of the pulpit a little bit, uh, this is a little bit easier to do when it comes to teaching. I mean, doing topical things certainly makes sense. Um, you know, it's, it's fairly easy to do videos and other, and other kind of materials um, so, so preaching and catechetically, those things are, those things are relatively easy. Um, being, being involved in a local, uh, life chapter, Lutherans for Life or some other, uh, some other chapter would, uh, uh, would make sense. Where I find it kind of interesting and, and difficult. And, and this is not only true for, for this issue, but for many issues is that I am, I, I am very jealous of the time and energy that we have as a congregation. I just am. Uh, I know how little we have and how and how precious people's time is. And so I am always just just slightly just slightly ear, leery of anything that wants to uh, that wants to over overtake that. Um, and so I have typically just been a little hesitant when it comes to uh, kind of going all in on this, um, you know, on organizing uh, marches and rallies and having a, you know, having a monthly uh, protest outside of a, a Planned Parenthood center, the, all of those sort of things. Um, and I don't know if that's just my own uncomfortableness with it that I freely grant that that's possible. Um, and at what point do we no longer have the freedom really to, uh, to, to hold back on that? I think that's a, and that's a tough question. It really is. I, it is for me. One thing that, yeah, it is, it is for me too. And, and I mean, I'm with you. You only have so many hours and you can only get so many volunteers, uh, to do things. Um, but here's what I, here's my attitude about it is that, um, I have found that organizing, for instance, not necessarily organizing a march, but participating in a march or a protest will actually involve new people, people that aren't in LWML, people that right. aren't on the altar guild, people. There are people for whom this issue is something they could really get active in. So I found that it has actually made some people become more active in the church hmm. who weren't doing a whole lot. Otherwise, Interesting. Um, it's you know what I'm saying because sure. there are some people for whom now, this issue will grab them. Now, now let me play the other side on that. I think that you could argue that for just about anything. Absolutely, and and as a result, and that, and, right. you know, you can have the you know the spaghetti club and uh, and the you know the twenty thousand. Kind of, uh, I don't know, maybe we need to have rush week at, uh, at church and have all of the, uh, have all of the different organizations come and kind of hawk their wear and get people's attention. And no, obviously not. 
but right. um, but your point is well is well taken that uh, that the people that that may be uh, more more inclined toward this are different than than the rest. I think it'll be really interesting, for example, to to see how our church body tries to address these things at our at our convention next year. Um, our Lutheran Church of Missouri Synod has historically been one of the most staunchly pro-life church bodies in the United States. I mean, after the Roman Catholic Church and maybe the Southern Baptist Convention, I think, um, yeah. we're probably the third largest, uh, pretty clearly pro-life church. Um, but, uh, this is ramping up and I, for one, hope that this is a, is, uh, one of the big things we talk about. At our convention, and well, you know when, and what the therefore is behind that. It's next summer, so it's you know yeah. year from now or something. Not quite a year from now, but uh, but I hope that that the that these Planned Parenthood videos do not just fade away, but actually continue to build momentum along the way. Which reminds me of an article that I that I wanted to mention here. I'll put it in the show notes. Um, and and as I said, I don't want to uh, I don't want to go too far down the road of the Planned Parenthood videos. I would encourage you to uh, uh, to watch them. I will freely admit I have not watched all of them. They are frankly painful to watch. It's painful to to hear these conversations because they are just so they're just so evil. I don't even know how else to put it. Um, but one of the one of the questions that I found uh, fascinating on this, and I've heard this from a number of different places, is the question of uh, is this uh, is this organization that has been behind this investigative journalism uh, right in being deceptive because they had to lie in order to get these videos, um, and uh, and Christians aren't supposed to lie. So is this is this uh, Kind of information gotten from uh, gotten by sin, and as a re- and as a result, is this uh, uh, is this something that we shouldn't be participating in? Well, I think that's a that's an interesting ethical question. I don't know if you have any thoughts on that, but um, I, well, I'm guessing you do. Just the article that I think you're going to refer to is yeah. one that I would record. Yeah, there's a there's article by uh, Pastor Hans Feeney. Um, who, uh, who's a, he's a pastor, Missouri Center pastor in Indiana, kind of the greater Chicago area, actually. And, uh, he has an article that he just posted in the Federalist. I just read it today. I don't know. It must have come out fairly recently. And, uh, where he takes up this, he takes up this question and I think that he answers it, uh, he answers it pretty well. So any thoughts on that, Scott? Well, yeah. I mean, he thinks that it was, it was appropriate for, there are times, in which to deceive in order to save a life, you know, is there, there's, there is precedent for that. Um, you know, it, it's, um, uh, I, I must also confess that I have not watched all of those Planned Parenthood videos for the same reason, although I intend to. And I think that this is a time, um, if, if you're a pastor and you kind of agree with what we're saying, uh, but you haven't been very active or if in, you don't. in the pro-life movement. <laughs> or even if you don't, I'd ask you to listen, watch those videos and reconsider your th- your position. But if you haven't been very involved in terms of uh, protesting or going going to marches or, or talking to people, this is the perfect time. We have a moment, 
a real moment when average Americans, I think moderate pro-choicers are reconsidering their positions. I've been reading media of, I mean, secular media where people have said, I'm pro-choice, but these videos upset me. Right. And that when was I, the last it, time that happened? Never. That is te- <laughs> people are recognizing this for what it is, and there are. It's not going to sway every. We're never going to sway everybody, but we may. We have, I think, a unique opportunity. There's a there's a momentum, and participate in the momentum while it, I think it's a gift from God. I think we've been given a gift, a moment to try to uh, persuade people. That this is not a good practice, and you know, if they they may not jump on the the bandwagon immediately, but if we can help plant seeds of doubt in their minds about the rightness of of abortion and some of the practices that go along with abortion, I think we need to take advantage of that. It's the early church was not shy about this. The early no. church was not at all shy about taking care of the orphans and foundlings and being opposed to infanticide and abortion. Um, so we are not just sort of products of the, you know, neocon movement or the, uh, you know, the right. Ronald right. Reagan right wing American civil religion. This is civil not some religion. wacky fundamentalist thing. It isn't. It isn't. The church, we can go back to the earliest fathers and find that they were appalled by this practice and believed in the, in the right to life of the unborn. And, and so we have strong historical precedent. The New Testament, and the and the and the Bible doesn't mention abortion, interestingly, but it does talk a lot about the life uh, in the womb, and yes, and I think we can use those. We can use those texts, and this is the time to do it. While people are really thinking about this with a new openness that they that many people didn't have a month ago or two months ago. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm into that. So we'll have some uh, we'll have some links in the show notes on this. Uh, that I would encourage you to take a look at. You can find our show notes at thecruxofthematter.net slash podcast slash 32. And I would also be very interested in any feedback you guys may have on this uh, on this topic of what does it mean to be a pro-life pastor. Uh, please send us a note at feedback at thecruxofthematter.net uh, or you can just comment on the article on the webpage uh, or on our Facebook page. We'll uh, We'll find it there one way or another. Lots more we could talk about with that, but I think that that's the uh, the beginning of a good uh, of a good conversation there. And um, so let's uh, let's change gears for a moment before we before we finish up and uh, and talk about our joy bringers for a little bit. And uh, this week I'll go first. Um, go. As I said, I'm in the I'm kind of in the fall rush of trying to figure out. Uh, my life <laughs> and figure out uh, what what's getting done that what has to get done this year and how to how to do that one of the things that I am really exploring is collaborative project management you know because I'm a pastor and obviously that means that I have to think about these things um, uh, and I'm thinking in terms of not only confirmation, but um, but in lots of different areas here in the in the church, uh, we we have to work together on things. And in my mind, one of the one of the great barriers to that question is always people understanding what precisely is their job, when they need to do it, and how they need to do it. And, and so, clarifying expectations. Is a, is a big deal. 
So I've been looking at a program called Wonderlist, W-U-N-D-E-R-L-I-S-T. Uh, it's, it's on every platform, web, Windows, Mac, iOS, Android, etc. You'll find it everywhere. And, and it, it's a task management system. But what makes it uh, different from many others, and I've got others that we've talked about here, what makes it different from many others is that it's collaborative. So mm-hmm. you can create a task list and then you can invite other people to participate in it and um, – and, or you can assign tasks to another group. Now, this is not some sort of high-powered Microsoft project level uh, level thing meant for corporate world, um, you know. And it can be as simply as a shared grocery list with your wife, so that mm-hmm. you both have one list. And here's the grocery list. And if I think of something, I can add it and put it in there, and she'll find it, or or vice versa. Um, but other other things. And I have been thinking about what would be a way. That we can uh, that in the in the church that we can kind of be accountable to one another on on how to do things and this is what I'm currently looking at I like it it's a nice it's a nice interface it's easy to use it's it's pretty it's pretty self explanatory um, so it should be fun I've been enjoying playing around with that this week yeah I like it too I use it I don't use I I haven't used it for the same kind of um, collaborative work, except for like what you, the exact, exact example that you gave. My wife and I use it for shopping lists. And right. it's just a, it's, it's, it's got a simple enough interface that it doesn't terrify me. You know, right. something like OmniFocus and some of these other right. things, these other productivity software, uh, uh, things often will just be so complicated that for, that for me, they do. Yeah, they're overkill, but I like Wonderlist a lot. Yeah, yeah, and there are others. There's another one called Trello, T R E L L O that I've uh, that I've been looking at too. That's very similar. Um, so I'll uh, I'll probably keep talking about that a little bit along the way. Anything bringing Any- you joy this week, Scott? Yeah, this is actually a book I've been reading rereading recently. I read it once years ago, but um, and it fits perfectly with our theme. And it's uh, at least what what I was saying, and that it, the title of this book is Abortion in and the Early Church. Subtitled Christian, Jewish, and Pagan Attitudes in the Greco-Roman World by Michael hmm. G. Gorman. It's a great book because it's under – it's about 100 pages long. Okay. I like books that are short. <laughs> I have <laughs> right. I have ADD. So, you know, I right. get a little bit ready to read something new once I've gotten into a few hundred pages. So this is um, Abortion and the Early Church. And he gives you – all the data. He doesn't just make assertions. Well, the early church, he gives you the, you know, references. And I think that's, it, it would be very illuminating for a pastor or just a well-read Christian who wants to better understand why the, what the church has said and thought about uh, pro-life issues. This is great background information that hmm. you should know. Good. Is it expensive? I mean, sometimes short books uh, don't mean inexpensive. Do you have any idea? Uh, I don't remember. I've had it for years, but it's okay. called, but it's from Whiffenstock Publishers. Okay. It was it, it's not an expense. It's not like somebody's PhD dissertation. Gotcha. It's not that one of your hundred dollar books. Gotcha. No, no. I, I'm sure that it's under twenty bucks, and okay. it's um, it's it's you know, like I said, Whiffenstock did the publication. Um, you can get it on Amazon. It's a very simple book. But uh, Michael G. Gorman, I haven't found anything that it, that does this topic better. Cool. Well, that sounds like a uh, uh, that sounds definitely like uh, something that's worth worth considering here. I've been kind of uh, boning up my my library in recent uh, recent times on both 
life issues and marriage, which uh, marriage and family, which we've also talked about here a couple times. So, uh, uh, yeah. so I'll add that to my list. And you've cost me money once again. Thanks a lot. Once again. Yeah. Yep. So anything, uh, anything else we need to uh, talk with our dear listeners about for this week, my friend? Uh, no, nothing in particular. Just as always, we like comments and, and suggestions for topics. We're yep. willing to entertain what, whatever it is that you think we ought to be discussing. Um, we don't necessarily claim to have all the answers, but it's, it's a conversation that we want you to be a part of. There you have it. There you have it. And with that, uh, uh, with that note, I think we will, uh, we will call it, uh, call it a show. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll see you next time. Goodbye. <laughs>